Well, good morning, everyone. Uh, welcome. Great to be here. And welcome online. Great you can join us as well. Uh, so we are particularly uh, praying together today for the persecuted church and for our brothers and Christians, uh, brothers and sisters overseas who share our faith but don't share our freedom. Uh, so let me pray for us before we look together at this passage of Scripture together. Heavenly Father, uh, thank you for the freedoms that we do enjoy in this country, uh, the freedom to meet and to worship. Um, we pray for the, our brothers and sisters overseas uh, who do not also enjoy that freedom. Uh, we pray that we would stand in solidarity with them in a small way today through praying uh, and bringing them, them before you. Uh, and we pray that they would never also fall out of our prayer focus in the year ahead and beyond. Amen. What injustices do you feel most deeply? Uh, what injustices stir and grieve your heart? Well, our world is afflicted with injustice in numerous ways. Uh, there are two broad categories I can think of, um, general injustice and then what I'm going to call faith injustice. Uh, firstly, uh, general injustice. There's plenty of that in our world. Uh, this is the injustice arising from the thoughtlessness, uh, the selfishness, uh, the malice of others. Uh, and we're confronted with that with so many different ways. Uh, so many different forms, uh, syst systemic injustice, uh, racism, uh, economic injustice, uh, where people are crushed by greed, uh, relational injustice, where people suffer abuse at the hands of others, and it leaves people with deep wounds and lasting pain. But secondly, there is this other category, which we're calling faith injustice. Uh, this is the injustice experienced by God's people because they are God's people. Uh, persecution due to belief. And this form of injustice uh, is also expressed in many different forms. Uh, it involves being ostracized, uh, disadvantaged, uh, physically attacked or verbally attacked, uh, being tortured, uh, loss of livelihood, even loss of life. Now this could be a local faith injustice where actually we here in Australia experience some forms of faith injustice at the hands of our family, at the hands of our friends or our colleagues. But it could also of course be international faith injustice. The harrowing persecution of God's people in distant lands, uh, North Korea, Afghanistan, Iran, to name but a few. So here's a question. As a Christian, how do you feel when you witness or you experience injustice? And of course, we feel the tension. We know that this is not how God made the world to be. Uh, we rightly yearn for God to intervene and to put the wrong right. Uh, we groan as in the pains of childbirth as we feel that weight of living 
on an earth where God's will is not done yet as it is in heaven. Now we believe in a God of justice and we rightly look to him for justice. Our hearts resonate with that heartfelt cry of the slain martyrs in Revelation chapter 6 where they cry this. How long, sovereign Lord, holy and true, until you judge the inhabitants of the earth and avenge our blood. So we have this yearning for justice. And actually, when we look at the Bible, we find this yearning is correctly informed. For when we inspect God's promises for the future, we actually find that justice is central to the glorious global rule of the Messiah. Isaiah 11, for example, uh, verse 3, speaking of the Messiah who would come at that point, uh, he will delight in the fear of the Lord. He will not judge by what he sees with his eyes or decide by what he hears with his ears, but with righteousness he will judge the needy. With justice he will give decisions for the poor of the earth. He will strike the earth with the rod of his mouth. With the breath of his lips, he will slay the wicked. So Isaiah chapter 9, again speaking of the future glorious rule of the Messiah. Uh, of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. Uh, he will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. Well, we're in a, a section of Luke's Gospel at the moment that is all about uh, the future. Uh, Jesus is teaching his followers that although, although the Messiah has come, he's not yet fully come. Uh, he has to die first, he has to go away and depart, and then he will return. And so he's telling them uh, there is this delay until he installs his rule of justice and righteousness on the earth. Uh, Jesus' teaching here is concerned with uh, how we will live as we wait for his return. And the issue of unresolved injustices is at the very heart of this first section in chapter 18. What is the danger for Christians in the face of unresolved injustices? Well, the danger is this. We become discouraged uh, we become disheartened. Uh, we may even slip into despair and our hope fades. Uh, whilst we yearn for the wrong to be put right, we feel impotent to do anything about it. Uh, as in the days of Noah, life seems to go on as normal. Rather than praying for justice, we slip into prayerlessness. We say, gosh, what difference can my prayers make? Uh, they are like a water molecule in a bucket. Uh, you may recall in our recent sermons on prayer, it's what we've referred to as defeated weariness and cynicism. Why pray? What difference does it make? And so, uh, in anticipation of such despondency, Jesus speaks hope into our hearts by means of this parable. Verse 1. Then Jesus told his disciples a parable to show them that they should always pray and not give up. 
And Jesus proceeds to tell a story of unresolved injustice involving a widow and a judge, verse 2. He said in a certain town, there was a judge who neither feared God nor cared about men. And there was a widow in that town who kept coming to him with the plea, grant me justice against my adversary. Now a bit of background is helpful here. Uh, In biblical times, uh, widows were amongst the poorest and the most powerless members of society. Uh, It was a patriarchal, male-dominated culture, remember. And so often, uh, being a widow, they had no men to represent their interests. Uh, Also, they had little income. Uh, Without a breadwinner, they would often be poor and totally reliant on the charity of others. And in this story, we're told this widow is suffering injustice at the hands of an adversary. And so she seeks justice uh, through the legal system. Uh, She brings her case to the local magistrate. Now, unfortunately for her, not only is she in a poor and powerless predicament, but the judge has little interest in justice. It is the perfect storm of hopelessness. It's likely that the judge is primarily concerned with lining his own pocket. He panders to the powerful people. He gives judicial rulings in their favor. And therefore, he's got not the slightest interest in hearing the case of this penniless, powerless widow. It seems that she's got Buckley's chance of justice with him. But it it is evident that what she lacks in power and position she more than makes up for in perseverance. She's not going to take this lying down. And finally, her pestering persistence makes his life such a misery that he decides it's actually in his best interest to give her justice, if for no other reason than for a quiet life. Verse 4. For some time he refused, but finally he said to himself, even though I don't fear God, or care about men, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will see that she gets justice, so that she won't eventually wear me out with her coming. And then, of course, comes the teaching point of the story in verse 6. And the Lord said, Listen to what the unjust judge says. And will not God bring about justice for his chosen ones, who cry out to him day and night. Will he keep putting them off? Uh, This is actually one of those uh, how much more teaching techniques. Uh, If even this self-centered unjust judge eventually grants justice, how much more will our loving, caring, heavenly Father be certain to grant justice to us when we ask him? And do you notice how we were described? We are his chosen ones. It's a term of great affection. God has chosen us, and therefore God cares for us, and we are deeply, deeply loved. And so in response to our prayers, God won't grant us justice for the sake of a quiet life, He will grant us justice because we are his chosen ones. 
But did you also notice how his chosen ones are described? Uh, They are the ones who cry out to him day and night. We keep praying in the face of injustice because God will bring about justice in response to our prayers. Uh, Here's that quote again from Brother Andrew that we saw on the video earlier. Uh, It's beautiful and it's powerful. If we understood the potential power of our prayers, we would be on our knees a hundred times a day asking God for the things that would turn the world upside down. So here's the next question. Why would I stop crying out to God day and night for justice? Well, the answer is because it seems to me like my prayers are totally ineffective. Nothing seems to change. God doesn't grant justice immediately. The wrong is not righted straight away. There is a delay. And so I might start sliding towards defeated weariness and cynicism in my prayer life. So why should I continue to cry out day and night for justice? Because I can be confident that my loving Heavenly Father does hear my prayer and will grant justice in his time. One day, he will finally satisfy my yearning for the wrong to be put right in response to my prayers now. Uh, This parable actually comes in the middle of a section about the future. And at the end of chapter 17, two weeks ago, uh, we saw Jesus warning his followers of the delay in his return. Uh, The day of his return will come suddenly. It will come unexpectedly. Uh, From our perspective, it seems like life will just continue on indefinitely. But that was the mistake that people made in the days of Noah. And if the same mindset is adopted now, then we also make the same mistake. So the point then is, how will we wait? Uh, Will we live by faith in God's promises of eventual justice and vindication for his people? Uh, Will we continue praying for the granting of justice and the return of Jesus? Uh, When Jesus returns... What state will he find us in as his chosen ones? Uh, Verse 8. I tell you, he will see that they get justice and quickly. However, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? Prayer does make a difference. And we're going to see an Open Doors video now, after which we will break into small groups to pray. And the video is about an Iranian female pastor whose home was raided by the secret police. And this video dramatically illustrates the power of prayer. لحظه میخوام 
یک خاطره تلخ رو تو زندگی براتون تعریف کنم اطلاعات به خونه ما حمله کردن با وسیله به اسم دیلم اشتباه نکنم در رو باز کردن اولین کاری که کردن گفتن که خانم ها از آقایون جدا بشن خانم ها برن و هجاب اسلامی رو رایت کنن و اون لحظه بود که از اون فردی که سعی میکرد خودش رو مهربون نشون بده هرشن که میدونم نم یادم میاد که تمام بدنم میلرزید و در اون لحظه به یاد میابردم تمام نوکاتی رو که در مورد جفا یاد گرفته بودم یادم میاد که اون لحظه سعی کردم به جای اینکه بیشتر خودم رو بترسونم و من رفتم توی دستشویی گوشی تلفنم توی جیبم بود از خودم عکس گرفتم چون گرفتم و فرستادم و خبر دادم که ما رو گرفتن لطفا برای ما دعا کنید و بعد از اون خیلی از اپلیکیشنام رو از روی گوشی پاک کردم مموری فلشی داشتم که مربوط به دانشگاه الهیات بود دروس مسیحی توش بود یادم که اونو به خودم به دستشویی بردم و شکستم و توی دستشویی انداختم و سیفون کشیدم میتونم به شما بگم که اگه تعلیم هایی که در مورد جفا دیده بودم وجود نداشت من امروز اینجا مقابل شما نبودم Uh, when Sagar was asked there how the global church could support the persecuted believers, she said the following, uh, and here's the quote again. Uh, no Christian should face persecution unprepared, and no Christian should go through it without prayer from the worldwide church. So that's what we're going to do now. Uh, we are going to pray in small groups of two or three uh, for those who do share our faith but not our freedom.